he actually threw a dictionary in my general direction because he was fed up of <laughs> having to hear me. Welcome to Abstract, colon, the future of science. I'm your host, Jeremy Ullman, and today, as always, we are bringing unprecedented accessibility to graduate research. We recorded in the past, you're listening in the present, and we're discussing the future of science. Enjoy the show. Welcome to a very special episode of Abstract. Today, I am joined by my esteemed colleague, Brandon Claytman. Both of us are working towards a Master's of Education in Teaching and Learning at McGill University. So today, we're going to be talking a bit about goal orientation theory, and Brandon is going to start us off with a bit of background for that. Yeah, hi, Jeremy. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> uh, Thank you. Thank you for joining me. I'm very excited. So, yeah, so like uh, like Jeremy was saying, we're going to be talking about goal orientation. Um, and first off, we'd like to bring up the model of the 2 by 2 model, uh, which I found was super interesting, uh, which essentially is talking about how there's differences between the mastery approach, uh, mastery avoidance, and then a performance approach and a performance avoidance. So essentially defining the differences between um, how you learn and why you learn. So people who are focused mainly on mastering subject matter rather than getting uh, good grades and performing their best, uh, that's their biggest differences between the two sets of goals. And we find that that was extremely interesting to touch on and look into uh, in a more detailed way. Yeah, so these these goal orientations kind of come out of this goal foundation, right? So goals themselves are like specific targets that we try and reach. But goal orientations are specifically beliefs about why we actually engage in specific tasks that allow us to reach these goals. We've got mastery and performance. And then within each of the mastery and performance categories, you could either have kind of like a flavor or a behavior that is approach style or avoidance. This actually really reminded me of something similar in psychology, which is operant conditioning. So in operant conditioning, we have reinforcement and punishment, which are kind of like mastery and performance here. And instead of approach and avoidance, we have positive and negative reinforcement and punishment. So this is like what you were getting at with this two by two model, where you have two different characteristics paired with two other ones, and we get four total outcomes. So let's talk a little bit more about what those four outcomes are specifically. For sure. So first off, we'll look at mastery avoidance, which I thought sure. was super interesting. In this article I was reading, they were talking about how people want to work towards not losing their mastery skills. So their beliefs and goal orientations will be that um, not to really gain more knowledge, but to make sure that they never regress past a certain level that they were already at versus a mastery approach, which would be more working hard to gain as much knowledge and information as they possibly can, just to be able to say that they're mastering that specific skill or area of expertise. Mm -hmm. Then when you flip over to the performance approach, that's more looking into getting good grades or having your boss be satisfied with what you're doing and not really trying to gain knowledge for your own, more based off of what outcome it brings to you. And then performance avoidance, which is a, a kind of a nasty area, I think I would say, is <laughs> uh, you're trying really hard not to do poorly in whatever a test or do poorly in your job or anywhere that you're trying to actually learn, which could often lead to 
students or people just avoiding the assignment altogether, just in fear of not being able to meet the goals that they set for themselves or others? When we started researching the the performance and mastery aspects of goal orientation, which are kind of like the, the main foundations of it, those were new concepts to me, but they seem highly related to the concept of intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. Mm-hmm. So the way that I was thinking about it is that mastery is kind of embedded in this intrinsic motivation. Right. If you are intrinsically motivated, you're going to want to learn for the sake of having that knowledge or for the sake of, of, of not losing that knowledge if it's an avoidance case. But then the performance side seems a lot more extrinsic. You're trying to impress other people. You're trying to achieve some other end. Yeah. So the actual learning that's happening is just a vehicle to some external achievement, getting a grade, for example. Right. So I, I really liked how that grounded it, at least for me, in terms of understanding the mastery versus performance, in terms of intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation. I'm curious, Brandon, do you consider yourself more of a intrinsically motivated individual or extrinsically motivated? That's a tough question. I, I think that I don't have one clear answer. I, I think that like most people, depending on the subject matter, or at least depending on what I'm trying to do in life, it's always nice to get the <laughs> the validation of others. But at the same time, there definitely are quite a few subject areas where I just want to learn because I love learning. It's something that's really interesting to me. It's something that I want to gain as much knowledge as possible without really caring about what other people care or even see that I do. It sounds like a positive way to approach it. I know so far we've kind of colored the, the performance side with a bit more of a negative connotation, but it doesn't necessarily have to be negative. No, I think there definitely are ways that it is negative in the sense where you have students who are afraid to not meet the goals and criteria of others, which can lead to anxiety and just the stress of school, which is really not the purpose of school, in my opinion. You know, you want to be there to learn and not everyone's going to do well in every single subject and that's okay. But if you mm-hmm. place that immense stress on doing well and getting those grades that everyone wants to get, it takes away from the enjoyment of actual coming to school and learning and education. Right. But I I think something that's important to note is that you can actually be engaged both in mastery orientation and performance at the same time and kind of leverage the best of both worlds. A hundred percent. In the same way, you can also be intrinsically and extrinsically motivated in your journey to accomplishing even a particular goal. Of course. And I think that as teachers in the future, finding a way to toe that line for students is going to be very important for us because it's not realistic to say that every single student is going to have mastery goals in your class because brutally honestly, not every student is interested in the subject matter that you're teaching. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't expect them to love every subject. You don't love every subject. So why should they? And if their goals are based off performance, just to be able to get through your class, as long as they're being able to perform well and actually enjoying a little bit of your class, I think it's it's good enough. Mm-hmm. That's an excellent point. I love math. I don't know how you feel about math specifically, but you aren't in this degree to become a math teacher right. like me. It's important to note that our own goal orientations... Mm-hmm do actually have an influence on the orientations of our students. So we need to be aware that our personal orientation will actually be reflected in our own classroom, in our students. So if we're mastery driven, then maybe our students will kind of pick up on that as well, right? So we need to make sure that as teachers, we're connected to our students' academic goals. We want to understand how they're motivated, what their expectations are, and make sure that that kind of aligns so we're on the same page, yeah. right? We have to help 
them see how their academic achievement is actually related to their own success in their life. And I think finding those connections in the classroom are not going to be the easiest things to do per se, but definitely a very valuable exercise that each teacher should be doing to try to find ways to keep students motivated. I mean, being a math teacher, it's often hard to find those connections with students, telling them that, you know, this material will be used day to day. Finding a way... Often it's not. Yeah, of course. I mean, some of the things that I don't even understand in math, there's a reason why I don't understand it. It's because I don't need to understand it, right? There's no reason for me to know what the fancy buttons on my calculator do because I, I never use that stuff. You know, in that situation, if I'm in a classroom where that's something that they're teaching me, there's no way that my goal set is going to be based off of mastery skills. It's going to be based off of getting through this and hoping that I have some kind of positive performance out of it. And that's it. For sure. No, but I actually, I like this calculator example, because if you're just teaching students how to manipulate buttons on a calculator, what you're not doing is, well, a bunch of things. One is challenging them, right? There's not a whole lot of challenge. You're not really supporting learning or, or even focusing on learning. And those are all things that create like a positive classroom environment. When I think about a positive classroom environment, it's not an image of a sea of students all punching buttons on their calculator. <laughs> it looks a lot different than that. Something more collaborative, engaged and engaging. It's interesting. I had a university class, my last uh, degree, which was based off of like learning how to do basic income calculations and figuring out how to save money and all that. And we had... 30 minute videos just telling us which buttons to press on the calculator without actually explaining to us what these buttons oh, were trying to do. So it became a memorization formula rather than actually trying to understand, okay, well, this button is going to help you calculate compound interest. And it's just, what's the point of that? How are you giving yourself or your students, at least, the opportunity to master this subject rather than just repeat what the teacher has said and make sure that you do well on their tests? I wouldn't even call that learning. No, no, it's memorization. We're just being, we're, yeah, it's road memorization. We're just being reduced to pure performance machine, which is not the goal of education in, in my eyes, Absolutely nor do not. I think it is for you. For myself, I did, I had a, my bar mitzvah when I was younger and the rabbi made me read the phonetic in English and then record myself doing it. And what I had to do was just re-listen to myself repeating it in English, essentially over and over again. Mm -hmm. So this idea of, uh, something pretty important in the Jewish religion is boiled down to memorization of essentially a script, which defeats the mm -hmm. purpose at all of the education of it. But, you know, I got through it. I got whatever <laughs> I needed to do to become a man in the religion. And that's it. It's just it defeats the purpose of the education part of it. Uh huh. I'm I'm appreciating all the different examples that you're bringing in from your personal experience historically and also in inside of your academic experience as well. I do want to shift the the discussion a little bit specifically to how we can actualize uh, goal setting in the classroom. So in a textbook that we've been following closely, there's a discussion about the factors of effective goal setting in the classroom. Now would be a great time to hop into that. Why don't you start us off? So let's, let's shift the discussion a little bit to the factors of effective goal setting in the classroom, get a bit of application going here. Sure. So the three main factors are feedback, framing, and acceptance. I think that as teachers, we find the importance in definitely certain areas. For me, feedback was something that was extremely important. Getting that proper feedback, I think, uh, is something that we definitely need in a classroom, especially when we're setting goals, to be able to get those checkpoints throughout. Framing is also something that's so important, being able to actually understand what is being asked of you, how it's being asked, and which way to actually go with the assignments. 
And for the last one, goal acceptance, the most important aspect is actually buying into the subject and being able to commit to the assignment or whatever master, uh, whatever goal you're trying to set. So the importance of actually really attempting to make this goal a reality rather than just going through it as if it's just another task. Yeah, th- this is great. So I, I really want to reiterate these these three factors. So we've got feedback, which is extremely important because the feedback we give to our students can actually act to help them in their own goal direction or redirection if we feel like they're on the wrong track. So this is really going to help put our students on the right path to success. In terms of framing, I love the concept of framing. I talk about it with my friends, my family. I think about it all the time in terms of my own life. Part of why I love it in this context is how it plays a part in the distinction between intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. So we could take the same goal and adapt it to intrinsically or extrinsically minded students. For example, I could motivate a grade 10 student to study extremely hard in order to have a very strong application to CEGEP or university. So that, that would be extrinsic. You frame the evaluation in terms of its contribution to the goal of getting into McGill, for example. Whereas more intrinsic motivation would have to do with learning for the sake of learning, being able to apply your knowledge in other domains. Yeah. One thing we haven't spoken about actually is the importance of setting sub goals for your goals. Yeah. So if we set sub goals, that's actually going to help us achieve our goal because we'll be able to break it down into smaller steps. Yeah, that's for sure. I just, I want to touch on the point that you're making about getting into school being an extrinsic goal setting model. Yes, I see the purpose of that as well, but I know for many people, their goal in life personally has always been to continue their education and knowing that the next step in their education is to get into a university. Yeah, you need to have those grades to be there. But at the same time, personally, intrinsically, you want to get there for yourself to be able to master certain aspects of life. I mean, for my girlfriend, for example, since like 12 years old, all she's known is she wants to be an SLP in a specific program at McGill. If you're curious, an SLP is a speech language pathologist. Is that an extrinsic goal to be able to say that, okay, yeah, I need these grades to get there. But at the same time, she's trying to master her own goals. And by doing that, she has to follow those steps and, I guess, have the right performance in class. I don't know. That's a great point. Yeah, you're right. So this, I think it's it's an example of what I mentioned before about how you can actually have both a mastery and a performance approach and an intrinsic and extrinsic approach to achieving a specific goal. A hundred percent. So actually getting into the program is like getting that acceptance is something extrinsic. It's external, but the validation and and the contribution to your kind of life path that you've wanted to carry out for yourself, that's more intrinsic. For myself in the social science stream, most of us know, at least in Quebec, that we have to teach to that exam in history. And we know that we have to get to that point where students have to have a certain performance outcome based off of their what they're learning in class. So it turns into a situation where teachers are forced to teach the test rather than teach to the enjoyment of the class and teach to certain mastery levels. So for myself, what I find quite annoying actually is if you're in a situation in a classroom where a student finds a certain subject area very interesting, especially in history, because there's so much you could explore in history, You have to make a decision whether A, that student is able to juggle two subject matters at the same time, being that the other subject that is the curriculum is so important to be able to pass these exams and still be able to learn on their own. Do you give them the resources to be able to actually go out and take the time into learning about these things, 
Do you give them opportunities to do assignments based off the new histories that they want to explore rather than forcing them into subject matters that they don't find super interesting or they've done for the past seven years <laughs> that they're kind of fed mm -hmm. up of relearning? Finding that line between having to have the grades that they need versus actually being passionate and interested and setting their own mastery goals in those specific areas, I think is something that's very difficult for teachers to do, especially in certain subject areas. It's a, it's a really good point. I think part of the trickiness with this in high school is some, especially towards like younger grades, students don't have the independence, the autonomy yeah. in order to even really go out and teach themselves mm -hmm. and, and continue to, to, to learn just purely intrinsic motivation wise. For older students, I think if, if we do have students who you could call gifted or with extreme interest in particular topics, yeah, it's incumbent upon us as teachers to actually fuel that interest mm -hmm. and to give them the resources that they need, whether it's just to come meet you in your office after class for five or 10 minutes to give them a book or something like that. I, I think we should very much encourage students to explore topics that they're interested in. Yeah. We know, I, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but many studies have shown that the average teenager spends like three to four hours staring at their phone every day. If there's a particular student who you could take a couple of those hours and redirect their attention to a book or to a specific topic, by all means, of course. do that. Yeah, it's, it's a great way to do it. I always found it interesting, the teachers who get certain questions in classrooms and instead of answering the question directly, tell them to Google it that night and come back to class with the answer the next day. I think that what you were touching on, that students don't have the autonomy to actually learn on their own, by doing an activity like that, you're now giving them the skills to actually find useful resources that are factual and important to the classroom rather than just being on Facebook or TikTok scrolling through for hours, not doing anything productive. For sure. And the issue that you're bringing up, by the way, it's actually kind of a good issue to have as a teacher. Oh, th yeah. this, this, is, this is a situation I'm in where my students are so interested in a topic, I don't know what to do for them. The complete opposite issue is where you have what are called work avoidant learners. Where you have students who just, at all costs, they want to do the, the minimum amount of effort. They don't want to do the work at all. So I'm actually curious to know what you think about how we as teachers can motivate work-avoided learners. As opposed to taking the students who are already motivated and push them in the right direction. Yeah, that's hard. Because I would say that for myself, as a high school student, I was someone who was very much a work-avoidant person. Because... Mm -hmm. I don't think I was challenged enough in high school in most subject areas. There definitely were some subject areas where I felt like I was being challenged, but oftentimes the subjects were, they, we, we didn't go into enough detail. We didn't go into enough complexities of the actual subject matter, which left me kind of almost bored in class. I mean, I remember sometimes in French class, for example, we'd be going over the same verb tenses a thousand times to the point where I was sitting in the back of the class, almost falling asleep. It's not that... The other students didn't require it. It's just that, unfortunately, for some of us, we weren't challenged enough, which led to us wanting to avoid all work together just simply because it was A, it was either too easy or B, we just couldn't do it anymore. It was just constant repetition and it just was no longer fun. I remember actually in, uh, in SEC 1, we had a, an essay we had to write and uh, a teacher overheard me in the back of the class saying, um, isn't it enough times that we've written an essay? Shouldn't he know how we write by now? To which he responded very negatively, slamming the door and <laughs> bolting to the back of the classroom. He actually threw a dictionary in my general direction because he was oh, wow. fed up of having to oh, hear me. Oh my goodness. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it was it was an interesting... But I mean, that's, that's kind of the reality that I was living in. We 
kept rewriting the same subject area over and over and over again to the point where I was just avoiding all work together because I was bored. I just, I couldn't find the way to do it. So finding ways to challenge those students and finding ways to actually keep them engaged in the classroom by allowing them to explore other areas is a great way of finding a way to do it. Now on the other side, students who are avoiding work because it's too challenging and they can't actually wrap their head around it. So they're deciding, well, if I don't try, at least I won't fail. That's definitely a difficult way to do it. Uh, I think giving them more resources and finding ways to explain to them that your grade does not matter as much as you think it does, or at least as much as your parents think they do, it does. Giving them reassurance that you will do well in this class as long as you put in the effort and actually attempt to do the work. I think that's something that's going to be very important to find a way to get through those work avoidance students. One example that you gave of doing these like repetitive activities of doing verb conjugation, I agree with you, that never really got me engaged in class. And I felt like I didn't learn that much French in French class. Yeah. What would have been a great alternative would be to apply a mixed grade or a mixed ability classroom. Right. So the way that we had it is there was low, there was medium, there was high French. Mm -hmm. But what would have been great is if we could have had some of the low French people, people who weren't as good at speaking, who weren't native French speakers, paired with a conversation partner who was in a higher level class. And I think we both know that it's almost common knowledge that speaking a language is the best way to learn it. Yeah, and course. so we didn't get that much opportunity to actually talk and speak in French. It was more of this like kind of like basics, building up verb t verbs and vocabulary and, and writing. And I think that actually severely inhibited learning. A hundred percent. Which is I, not, I, not ideal. I'm sure you know quite a few students who went through the same French program as you do, who are terrified to speak French with anyone who's a native French speaker, because they just, they don't have the, the practice. They don't have the experience. Yeah. And it makes sense yeah. to be afraid to do it. Yeah. So one thing that I do want to bring up here as well, in terms of dealing with work avoidant learners, like high school students, which is the population that we're going to be working with, they're at a time in their life where like socializing is the most important thing to them for, for many of these students, but especially towards the later grades. It's huge. And so I think shifting the focus to maybe like social goals might be the answer here. Like we can encourage and help students to connect with and associate with other academically minded and otherwise motivated peers. And that can then potentially have a positive influence on them. So if we can actually guide our students towards the right social groups that might have these positive effects. Yeah. This could be through like engagement in a sports team or even just with family members. I, I think it's really important to actually have teenagers engaged and embedded in the larger community. 100%. Um, it, it's also been shown that, that social goals are associated with students' well-being and their self-esteem. And if these are lacking, then it might even explain like overall disengagement or work avoidance in these learners and just complete lack of motivation on the part of the students. So I think it's important to be mindful of the fact that success in a specific peer group that a student might be in isn't always aligned with academic success yeah. and vice versa. And so if we can actually bridge that gap and, and create these really positive communities, which for us, we have PLCs, which are professional learning communities. Yes. And so if we can almost kind of manufacture that at a high school level, I think that would be amazing. Yeah, I think more than just uh, being able to grow your social group and be able to grow your social skills, I think it's a skill that transfers great after high school, really being able to transfer that skill of working in a group. I mean, education, it's really, you know, you still continue to learn after high school. And I think that a lot of people forget that, whether they know that they're learning or they don't because they're not in a classroom setting. I think often people forget that you could learn just about anywhere. 
um, being able to come over and or get together and talk about a specific subject area that everyone is learning about is a very valuable tool and not being afraid to speak the way that you want to speak based off of what you're actually learning. I mean, there's so many students who still have that fear of speaking in large groups or talking at the front of the class. And I mean, a lot of that has to do with social skills, you know, being able to actually express how you're feeling and what you thought about a specific area. If you don't develop those skills at a younger age, of course, it's going to be difficult to do later on as well. So being able to, like you were saying, link those groups of social uh, students to be able to come together and find ways to communicate is a very important way of uh, actually keeping them motivated and interested in subject areas. I think one of the biggest takeaways for me today is realizing how complex the, the goal orientation environment, just how, how complex the learning environment actually is. We have the teacher, we have the school environment, we have students, we have their peers, we have the actual course material, and all of these things come together. We've got parents and sports teams, et cetera, and this all kind of comes together. It's, it can be very overwhelming yeah. and hard to even see which of these factors contribute most or which ones contribute less. But I think it's important that we've touched on all of these different aspects that surround goal setting, goal orientation, and the like. So thank you so much, Brandon, for joining me today. It's been great thank discussing you. these topics. Extremely fascinating. What I do want to do is uh, all the resources that we've used in order to prepare for this discussion today, those are going to go in the show notes. We're going to integrate those resources to make this even more engaging for the listeners. Perfect. So thank you once more for being here, Brandon. Much appreciated. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure to be here. Amazing. Okay, have an awesome rest of your day. Thank you listeners for being here. Have an awesome rest of your day and take care. Thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard, you can check us out at abstractcast on Instagram. If you have any feedback, please feel free to leave a comment on the post for the current or any previous episode that you might have listened to. Or if you're a graduate student and you would like to be on the podcast yourself, you can drop us a line at abstractcast at gmail.com. This podcast will be released weekly on Sundays and is also available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and pretty much everywhere else you're going to find podcasts. So feel free to check us out around the internet. Until then, take it easy.